Hello everyone, welcome to Langstaff Assembly Podcast. My name is Yanaili Joyce and I'm your host for this episode. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you and that it draws you near to God. Uh, I work in an office setting now and uh, always in the background we have the radio playing quiet songs. It just seems to make the day go a little bit faster. The team seems to um, just like to have background music. Uh, there's always a song that comes on. It's a big song, or it was a big song. I guess it still is. Uh, and I've heard it many times through the year. And every time I hear it, it makes me think. And I was coming home, uh, maybe three thirty, four in the morning, um, the other night, and the song came on the radio. And again, it makes you think. And there's just something about being awake in the middle of the night, maybe it's just me, but you're a little bit more retrospective and you're thinking a little bit more and the thoughts seem to come. And I don't really know what the song is about, but it's by a British group called Pink Floyd and the song is called Comfortably Numb. And uh, every time I hear it, it resonates with me. And there's a line as the song goes on, and the line goes like this. When I was a child, I caught a fleeting glimpse out of the corner of my eye. I turned to look, but it was gone. I cannot put my finger on it now. The child is grown. The dream is gone. I have become comfortably numb. And I hear those words being sung. And, and for some reason, and again, it's, it, it resonates with me. And I think about what it's like to see the Lord for the first time with the eyes of faith, with the faith of a child. And to have those moments in your life especially uh, Salvation's Day when you trust Christ, when you catch a glimpse of the reality of who Christ is, is how He is your Savior, and what that means for your life, and He is all that you can see. And that's the first part of the line, and that's how it, it sticks with me. And then the song continues, I turned to look, but it was gone. I cannot put my finger on it now. The child is grown. The dream is gone. I have become comfortably numb. And that line, it, it's it's really it's it's a haunting line. It makes me think about how we can get so caught up in the things of life, legitimate things even, that the wonder of that childlike faith can grow dim. I turned to look, but it was gone. I cannot put my finger on it now. The child is grown. The dream is gone. I have become comfortably numb. And I think to myself, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. Completely sucked into the vacuum of the routines of this life that I am forgetting that there is a kingdom to come um, and to be building my life with a kingdom view. Um, a little over, probably about a month and a half ago, my family and I, we were fortunate to get back to Canada's Wonderland after quite some time. And that was really nice. Um, and finally, after quite some time, the older two girls are old enough to ride. Uh, the majority of the rides. And so, you know, we did the the Viking ship and the Ghoster Coaster and the little merry-go-rounds and things like that. And then we finally lined up for the real rides, the Wild Beast and the mighty Canadian Mind Buster. I mean, it's it's in the name, right? <laughs> and uh, we, we, we crested the hill for um, the top, you know, the top of the hill for those real rides, the Mind Buster and the Wild Beast and things like that. Now, I was smiling, I was having fun, and I did some screaming of my own, but Chloe and Charlotte, they were on another level. They were on another level, their eyes were wide open, their knuckles were white, 
And they had screams that could uh, take out Crystal, right? And, and why was that, though? Why was that? It's because uh, the girls were experiencing it for the first time, right? It was real to them. They were experiencing and feeling it for the first time, the power of those rides. And I thought, like, in another way, what would it be like if we came back to the Scriptures and experienced it like that, with a heart that was open to um, reading things and experiencing things as if it was the first time? Um, so often we can look into the Scriptures and we think, well, I've read that five times or six times or maybe a hundred times, and it's easy just to pass over over things. But I thought, what if we approached the Scriptures with a heart that was open to allowing the Lord to leave a mark on our lives and giving us things that we haven't seen before and to truly understand that in the Scriptures and the portions that we're reading that we come to appreciate that the, the Scriptures are alive and that they are sharper and that they are uh, active and that they are truly a light and a lamp for our paths. And so that was... This whole intro really was to bring us to this little section that I've been considering in, in Mark chapter 4. And uh, if you know Mark chapter 4, and if you have an ESV Bible, at the top of this particular section that I'd like to focus on in Mark chapter 4, um, you'll likely read these four words. It's at the tail end of the chapter. And it says, Jesus calms a storm. I want you to check your mindset right now. Because if your mindset was like mine, you're probably thinking, well, well I know that story, right? I mean, that, let's, let's be honest here, right? I know that story. Um, it's a nice story. And, and the temptation would be to simply keep it at that, a story that we know and think that we know all the pieces about it. And, and that's what it was for me reading it a few weeks ago. But then I thought, well, Paul, why don't you experience it again and, and try and get into the Scriptures uh, those that particular story again, and, and with God giving help to try and see it in a way that is fresh and, and new for me, and most importantly, see and learn something about the Lord Jesus Christ. So, with that in mind, let's take a look at Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. It says, On that day, <clears throat> when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him and they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on, in, on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace. Be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's Mark 4, 35 to 41. And so we've come into the tail end of this chapter now in, in Mark chapter 4, and we immediately read these words. On that day, when evening had come, the Lord says to the, the, to the disciples, he says, let's go to the other side on that day. And so that's the beginning part that we have here. I wonder if you ever had a busy day. I, I already know the answer. Of, of course you've had. 
You know, the, the times when you come home and you're tired and you sit down at the dinner table and you gobble something down and then it's either you collapse on the couch and you fade away or you go up to bed and it's not too long and, and, and you're gone. Those are busy days. We read here on that day. Well, what kind of a day was it for the Lord Jesus? Other Gospels, uh, when you piece it together, they give us a bigger picture of what this day consisted of. We talk about busy days. The Lord had faced and healed a demon-possessed man. Uh, he had faced opposition uh, from his own family. Verse 21 of chapter 3 reads that when his family heard it, the Lord is there. Remember, he's teaching the multitude. When his family hears it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Then he's dealt with opposition from the Pharisees who come and say that it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that he is able to cast out demons. That was on that day. And then he has preached to so many people, multitudes of people, he has to go and sit in a boat just to create a little bit of a gap so that he can address uh, the, the, the entire crowd and preach to them all. And it was on that day that the Lord says, at the close of the day, he says to his disciples, <clears throat> let's go to the other side. Well, where's the other side? Right? Where's the other side? You know, when we think of lakes <clears throat> here, especially here in Canada, we think of, you know, the Muskokas. So if I am on uh, Muskoka Lake, uh, I can see the other side. Or the Kawarthas. You know, if I'm on Skugog, I can see the other side. Or Balsam Lake, I can see the other side. But here we find the Lord saying, let's go to the other side. This is the Sea of Galilee. And where they were going, approximately, that's about six miles of water from where they were. That's a lot of water. And so the Lord says, let's go to the other side. And the, the Lord boards the boat. <clears throat> and at some point, and I believe it's the only point in Scripture we read that he fell asleep. He falls asleep. He's tired. He's tired. And just at the outset, when we read these words, the Lord, that he slept, it brought to my mind Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. One who knows our weaknesses. And I thought about just on that very very point of how amazing it is that the creator of the universe, I mean, think about it. We, we really got to slow down and allow our minds to, to take this in, that the creator of the universe, the one who breathed the stars into place and called them by name and breathed, uh, put breath into the nostrils of man to, to bring them to life and and holds our lives, our breath in the palms of his hands. He came here and he walked here and he can even relate to us in this way. He was tired. He was tired. I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just me, but I was struck by that. That he truly understands. He understands because he has felt it too. And I thought very simply... And, and I hope that this is an encouragement to you too. I don't know where my week is going to take me. I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. And neither do you. Or where your week, your month, your year is going to take you. But we know that the Lord can relate because he has already been here. And he has already been there. And he understands. And we don't have a savior or someone who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Or the, the difficult days because he has been there. 
And when we think of the very simple fact that he was tired, truly it, it helps us appreciate that he truly is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And we can turn again to the cross of Christ and remind ourselves that he is with us. And he understands, he truly understands our suffering, our joy, our pain, our sorrow. Why? Because he felt it too. Very simple. You know, I read a powerful quote this week from John Stott, and it really touched my heart. My heart, it's, it, it goes like this. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. The only God I believe in is the one Nietzsche ridiculed as God on the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I have entered into many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of the Buddha. His legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth. Detached from the agonies of the world, but each time, after a while, I have had to turn away. And in imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh, blood, tears, and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in the light of his. There is still a question mark against human suffering, but over it we boldly stamp another mark, the cross that symbolizes divine suffering. The cross of Christ is God's only self-justification in such a world as ours. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. I read that and it touched my heart. And how can we not hear that and say that he is glorious? That God is glorious and how great he is. He can relate to us in all these ways. But in coming back to the chapter, I'd like to back up just a touch, and I'd like to look at verse 36. We read these words, leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat. Now remember, several of these disciples were fishermen. They'd grown up on these waters, they'd fished there for years, likely they had played on the, the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And so now when the Lord comes up to them and says, let's go to the other side, imagine, uh, I imagine the disciples were thinking, sure, sure, Lord, let's... Uh, you know, we can all get in the boat and we'll take it from here. You know, we'll, we'll be okay. We know how to row and we know how to sail. We're going to be just fine. You ever have those moments in your life when it's something you're endeavoring to do or you're trying to do and it's something that perhaps you've done a hundred times and you think you've got it all figured out by now and everything's going to be a-okay and then the bottom falls out. And you're scrambling in a panic to make sense of things. And you realize in a moment that I, I thought I had a handle on this, but I don't. It is completely out of my control. I think that's what happens here. 
In verse 37, we read that a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was filling. And you can just imagine the panic that is setting in among among the disciples. You know, row harder, put the sails up harder. I mean, come on, Peter, like dig in, right? This is this is your cup of tea. This is what you do. Andrew, do your part. John, what's going on? You're supposed to be seasoned fishermen here. We're raised on these waters. Then in a moment, the Lord is going to rise and he's going to remind them of a powerful truth in an awesome way. You thought that this was your realm. You thought that you had these waters mastered. This is your home away from home. You thought you had this. It's all mine. It's all mine. The things that you thought were yours, Peter, John, the things that you thought were yours, they're mine. You thought that I would be safe because I was in your hands and you fished these waters. My friends, you're safe because you're in my hands. Because you are in the boat with me. That's why you're safe. It's probably 24, uh, 14 rather, about 14 years ago, a friend of mine retired from the job, Andy Backer. And one of the last things he told me was this. He said, Paul, you have to be careful out there because the greatest danger is complacency. It's complacency. To be out there uh, front line, to be complacent. Where you think, you know, it's just another day. It's just another traffic stop. I'll pray if I find myself in a tough spot. Um, you know, it's just another drive to work. It's just another meeting. It's just another this. It's just another that. Until something happens and you realize that this is beyond my control now. This is way past where I thought it would go and I'm desperate now. And it drives you to your knees. And you're forced to realize in that moment that the control you thought you had, you don't. You never really did. And it causes you to cry out to acknowledge that the things you thought were yours, they're his. And the control you thought you had, you don't. But he does. He does. He has complete control. And this little section here in Mark reminded me of that, that we need the Lord. And to add to that, we need to have a conscious awareness. And we need to pray that we will have a conscious awareness of the fact that we need the Lord. You know, Lord, help me to realize that I need you. You know, there were times that I, my, my last partner um, just moved on, but he was a believer too. Uh, I was, uh, God blessed me with him as a partner. But we would be doing things at work and then we'd get that quiet spell, right? It's kind of like after the storm and we'd look at each other and we'd say, we need to be humble because another one's coming. You know, you don't want to get get up there and think like uh, everything's going to be just fine because then you're just going to get blasted, right? So it's Greg, we got to pray. We got to be humble because another storm is coming. And, and we need that awareness that we need the Lord. And, and an awareness of this truth will, will uh, help us to come before him in dependence. And really just to acknowledge the truth that we are weak within, but knowing that he is over all. The things we thought were ours, they're his. Now, before we go too much further, um, there are four words that jumped off the page that I'd like to share with you. 
Um, I had never really noticed it before. In verse 36, it says, In leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. This is those four words, just as he was. It's interesting that it's there. One commentary sums it up perfectly. It says, This same Jesus is willing to come on board our little vessels too. But we must receive him as he is. He is not going to change. But he will change us. That's the way he is. He is loving, strong, and holy. We're mean, foolish, weak, and sinful. And what he is and what we are cannot coexist. One of us will have to change. And he is not going to change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We receive him as he is. You think of Zacchaeus. He received the Lord. And he was changed. Peter received him and he was changed. Paul received him and he was changed. And for some, the change is fast. Think of Zacchaeus. I'm going to give back to the poor, right? Think of Paul. Change, change, change. And for others, it takes time for you and me. And all that come to place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we take him as he is. And he begins the process of making us as he is. And we can pray and should pray that our hearts um, would be open to allow him to make those changes in us and to give us eyes to see the changes that need to be made for him to work in our life. But we can move down the chapter now a little bit and consider another thought, the storm that comes up. This is verse 37. It's a great windstorm. Uh, comes up and the waves are breaking into the boat. The boat is filling with water. And imagine the panic. I mean, it, it was a long day for the Lord. No doubt it was a long day for the disciples. And you're in the middle of the lake, which by now seems like the Atlantic Ocean. You, you can't see the shore and you're taking on water. The Lord is in the boat, but the storm has come. The storm has come. You know, there's a message today that says that if you accept Christ, you'll come into wealth. And you'll come into health and you'll come into a larger home and you'll get new cars and and it will be clear sailing and everything will be fine. And that message is called the prosperity gospel It is a false gospel. It is one that promises nothing but sunny days. It is it is a message that elevates gifts above the giver. Because having Christ on board in your life is not the promise that there will never be difficult times. It's not the promise that there will never be heartache or pain or sorrow, or loss, or disease, or death. This story in Mark teaches us, among many other things, that his promise is not protection from the storm. His promise is that his presence is there with us in the storm. Can the Lord deliver? 100% he can. Can he keep you from a storm? 100% he can. But when the storm comes, his promise is that he is there with us in the storm. But now this is what the Lord says, the Bible says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Listen to this. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. You may have to pass through waters and rivers. The promise is there. I will be with you in the storm. So when times are good, 
how important it is to remember that he is with us. And when times are hard, how important it is to remember he is with us. I want to take a moment to encourage you as well, because, I mean, let's be real. How easy it is to come into a place like this with our family in Christ and someone says, how are you doing? It's easy to say fine, right? Sometimes that's the first word that comes. Even if the world is falling apart, we say it's fine, right? Or to, to, to put on a smile and say, I'm good, thanks. But it's not. Maybe it's not. And with so many people here this morning, I would venture to say for some people here today, things aren't going so great. Maybe it feels like you're taking on water. I want to encourage you, my brothers and my sisters in Christ, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you in the storm. His promises are true. They are true. We have reminded ourselves this morning uh, several times his promise that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And this same Savior, the one that we came to in faith when we first trusted Him, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can turn to Him in this life again and again and again and know His promise, I will be with you. You know, when that storm came, it's pretty clear that the disciples tried to make a go of it. I mean, they would have rowed really hard. The winds are howling, and the waves are rising, and they're straining against the oars until they realize, can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. Without the Lord, we're lost. And they turn and they ask the question, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? We could be hard on them for that question. How could they ask a question like that? Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? At least they knew where to turn, right? At least they knew where to turn. And I've often thought, well, what kind of a question is that? They have seen him work, and now they have the audacity, the nerve to wake him and ask, don't you care? Until I look back at tough points in my own experience and confess that while I may not have said the exact same words, at the heart of it, I've asked the same question. This is a tough time. Where are you? This is a tough time. Don't you care? I feel alone. Why aren't you taking me out of this? Does he care? Does he care? There's a song that I used to listen to, and the words are these. It was on a hill. My Savior died. A broken heart and bleeding side. Hill of the skull, Mount Calvary. The blood he shed, he shed for me. Does he care? Romans 5. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. Does he care? But God shows his love for us in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. And the cross of Christ, those wounds in his hands and his feet will be forever, the forever proof from now and through eternity. He cares for you. He cares for you. But let's go back to that boat for a moment.
The water is quickly filling up the boat. The disciples are scrambling. We've already considered that they're rowing as hard as they could. Some were probably bailing water as fast as they could. And if we were to somehow teleport, um, like Star Trek style, into that boat and say, Peter, what is going on? What's the problem here? Likely he would say, the waves are crashing in. And we're going to sink. It's these waves. This is the problem. We just can't keep up. Every time I bail the water, another one comes in. But then notice this. The Lord rises. And what does he do first? Verse 39. It says, he awoke and rebuked the wind. Then said to the sea, peace, be still. A rebuke of the wind. Then words to the sea. You say, why is that important? Why is that significant? Because it was the wind that was causing the waves. Right? It was the wind that was causing the waves. He arose and rebuked the wind. The point is, is simply this. The Lord knew what the problem was. Even better than the disciples did. Peter, what's the problem? We can't keep up with the waves coming into the boat. The waves. The Lord rebukes the wind. He knows the problem. He knows the problem even better than the disciples did. Very simply, whatever you're going through, um, whatever you might go through in the coming days or the weeks or the months ahead, the Lord is fully aware of where you are. He is fully aware of where the conflict lies. And he understands in a way that goes far beyond our own understanding. And he is able to meet needs, uh, to deliver, and to make his presence felt in ways that surpass our own understanding. And the Lord rises and he rebukes the wind and then says to the sea, peace, be still. But just to close, with the winds gone, the sea calm, the Lord turns to the disciples and asks the question, he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Why are you so afraid? Again, we have to be honest and we have to be real. There are many times in life that we battle fear. Right? Remember those shirts? I don't know if you remember them growing up. It was like, no fear. Like, those are like the coolest shirts growing up. Like, that would be a complete lie if I wore it. <laughs> you know, like, it's not true. Right? We have to be real. There are many times in life we battle fear. And the tendency, when something comes across your plate, can be the first emotion is fear. I mean, ask yourself. Go back to the last very alarming thing, whatever it was, that came across your plate. A significant problem, illness, conflict, whatever it might be. What was your first reaction? If it was prayer, that's a gold star. But for many of us, it would have been fear. But then look at the second half of the Lord's question. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Faith. It's not an abstract idea or it's not a theory. It's not a hope that, you know, I think it will or I hope it will work out. But faith in a living Savior. You see, faith is always linked to something or someone. We have to remember that, that, that faith has an object. You exercise faith in the pilot when you get onto the plane. When you go to the bank and you hand them a deposit of cash and you say, you know, I want that to go into checkings. You exercise faith when you hand over that deposit. So then how sobering is it then when the Lord says, have you still no faith in me? 
I know about the wind. I know about the the waves. Remember, I am here with you. How is it that you still have no faith? Uh, D.L. Moody, a famous uh, evangelist from years gone by, once met with a man who confessed to him, I can't trust. I can't trust. I can't trust. And in response, Moody looked at the man, and this was the question he asked. He said, who is it that you can't trust? That really puts things in perspective, doesn't it? When you ask that question, who is it that you can't trust? And when we humble ourselves and acknowledge that our dependence and trust is in the unfailing, always present, always faithful, always strong, almighty God, he strengthens our heart. And his word declares that my heart and my flesh It may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And the scriptures say that those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. But I'll close with this. The Lord asks the question and then the disciples say to each other, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? When it's all said and done, they come through the storm. They come face to face with the truth that the one in their boat, the one who had calmed the storm and been with them through the storm, Jesus of Nazareth, was the Almighty God, the creator of heavens and earth, the one strong to deliver. And their fear transfers away from the storm. And their eyes are fixed on the Lord. And they are awestruck by how awesome and powerful he is. The Savior in the storm. And so the prayer, my simple prayer is that this will be an encouragement to you. As we go into a new week, that you will truly remember and know that the Lord is with you. Through the good times, we can thank God he is with us. And through the tough times and the difficult times. Stay humble and have our dependence completely upon him. He is the Savior who is with us through it all. Hey, thank you so much for listening. What a privilege it was to share God's word with you today. We pray that you were fed, strengthened, and more equipped to run the race with perseverance. To listen to more podcasts like this, make sure to subscribe. For more content from Langstaff and to connect with us, go to langstaffassembly.com. Have a blessed day and we'll see you next time.